Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon and welcome to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Here with you today taking your calls and texts live on the air. This is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible or anything going on in your life that you'd like to discuss or receive prayer for. We would love to hear from you, hopefully answer your questions. We'd love to pray for you. Give us a call or send us a text. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Once again, that's 720-336-0897. We want to welcome everyone who is tuning in, wherever you're tuning in from. We want to welcome those of you listening here in Colorado and Southern Wyoming on Grace FM as well as those of you listening on the East Coast on Hope FM in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland, as well as those listening on Truth FM in Tennessee and parts of North Carolina and Kentucky. Welcome to the program. We're so glad that you tuned in today. just want to give you a reminder that those of you listening on Hope FM and Truth FM, you are hearing this show on a one-week delay, but we would love for you to call in, and then you'll be able to listen to, you know, you'll have the chance to tune in the next week and listen to yourself on the radio. Uh, So that's a unique opportunity you guys have, but just a reminder that you are hearing the show on a delay. We also want to give a big hello to everyone who tunes in online. You know, it's uh, kind of a growing segment of listeners, and it's it's great because we have the opportunity for people to tune in uh, not only all over this country, but all over the world, and we see that every week. We see that as the show's going on. We have listeners um, on both coasts and in the Midwest and in the South, and so we're so glad that uh, so many of you are tuning in and using that opportunity. For those of you who don't yet have that, we encourage you to go download the app, the Grace FM app for your phone or tablet. You can just go into your app store, type in Grace FM, one word, and it'll come up and you can download that for free and you can listen anywhere really in the world and to this program and all the other great programming on Grace FM. So do encourage you to get that app or you can also go into your browser and just go to gracefm.com and you can listen live in there as well. So wherever you're tuning in from today, we're glad that you are. We, I just uh, got sent a map by the producer. looks like we got listeners right now in Southern California, Northern California, Washington State, um, Nebraska, Kansas, Louisiana, all over the place. Also looks like people listening right now in the Philippines and in Thailand, Chicago, uh, looks like Washington, D.C. and Minneapolis areas. So hey, wherever you're tuning in from, We're so glad that you're with us, and I would love for you guys uh, who are listening online, give us a call. We'd love to hear from you and hear all the the different locations where people are tuning in from, even outside of our broadcast range. The number to call is 303-690-3000, and the text line is 720-336-0897. Just a few words about myself. Uh, I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. 
and our church meets on Sunday mornings in downtown Longmont. If you are in the Longmont area or within driving distance, we would love for you to join us on a Sunday morning. Uh, God's doing great things here at Whitefields, and we're really excited about it. We'd love for you to be a part of it. So you can check us out online at whitefieldschurch.com. And on there, you know, you can listen to kind of an archive of all of our sermons that we've been doing for past several years. And you can find out information about ways to get plugged in and community groups and service opportunities and all kinds of good stuff there. So whitefieldschurch.com. And you can also hear me here on Grace FM. I host the show every Monday here on Calvary Live. And I am also on every weekday. Um, our sermons air every weekday at 2.30 p.m. here on Grace FM. So our show is called Life in the Field, which is an allusion to the fact that we live our lives on God's mission field. And how are we to live as people called into God's mission, uh, living in this mission field? So that's the idea behind the show title. But that is every weekday at 2.30 p.m. Mountain Time. And it's Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. So if for some reason you're not able to be in church on a Sunday morning, then we would love for you to tune in here on Grace FM and hear those sermons on the air. Our church meets in downtown Longmont. So for those of you familiar with Longmont, we are uh, just one block west of Main Street on Longs Peak Avenue. So the address is 700 Longs Peak Avenue, and we're right on the northwest corner of Longs Peak Avenue and Kaufman Street. And we are just on the edge of Roosevelt Park, which is the city park here in Longmont. And uh, we would love for you to visit uh, with us and worship with us on a Sunday morning. Check us out online, whitefieldschurch.com. 10 a.m. Sunday mornings. We'd love to have you there. And I always enjoy it when people uh, who've heard on the radio, maybe they heard an invitation like that one, and then they come out on Sunday mornings and introduce themselves and say, hey, we heard about you on the radio. That always encourages us, so uh, please do so. If that's how you uh, wind up at our church, we'd love to help you get connected, and uh, we'd love to just serve you. So come on out, and we are studying right now. We're going to be starting a new series this coming Sunday. So this Sunday, we're starting a new series. We're going to be in the books of First and Second Peter. And our series is going to be called Pilgrim's Progress because that's what Peter talks about. He has this idea that we are pilgrims in this world. This world is not our home. We're en route to our true home, which is in heaven. And yet we have a distinct purpose here on earth. And uh, that purpose isn't just to grin and bear it, so to say. That purpose is to be actively engaged in God's mission. And so we're going to be talking about that. And the, uh, we thought the title Pilgrim's Progress would be an interesting one. Also, we know that there's a movie coming out under that title about that book, which is an um, interesting thing about that book also. You know, that book was written by John Bunyan um, in the 1600s, and it is the second most published and purchased book in the history of the world. Of course, number one is the Bible. So it's the number two most purchased and published book in the world, Pilgrim's, Pilgrim's Progress. And uh, I'll be curious to see how this new movie that's coming out, um, you know, portrays the book. Because I've read the book a couple times and enjoyed it. You know, it's an allegory about the Christian life. So this guy named Christian goes on this journey. And along the journey, you know, he faces all of these things. And each of them are an allegory for different things that we face in the Christian life as we progress. I think the full title of the book is 
you know, Pilgrim's progress from this life into the one that is to come. And so he, uh, he progresses, you know, through various trials and difficulties that people face, meeting different kinds of characters who represent, you know, different ways that people respond and react to the gospel and to the word of God. And so I'm curious to see what this movie will look like. Uh, it'll be pretty good. Yeah, so it's called The Pilgrim's Progress from This World to That Which Is to Come. Delivered under the similitude of a dream, wherein discovered the manner of his setting out his dangerous journey and safe arrival at the desired country. That's the full title. I guess back then, you know, you just used up the whole cover of the book with the title. They, they weren't too worried about uh, short titles, apparently. Um, so, yeah, he's really into subtitles, apparently, this guy, John Bunyan. And, uh, but great book. If you haven't read it, I would encourage you to do so. The older version of it, you know, uses the old language, like kind of old English. It's, it's actually quite hard to understand. Um, so I've read it in the old English, and I've read it in like an updated version. And the nice part about the updated version was I understood at least most of it. So uh, I think I would encourage you to check that out if you haven't done so already and wait for that movie. But if you are in or around Longmont, join us this coming Sunday. We are going to be uh, beginning our series there. So we have all open lines right now, and we'd love to hear from you. This is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible or anything going on in your life. If you have a prayer request, we'd love for you to call us or text us. The number to call is 303-690-3000. It's 303-690-3000. Or text us at 720-336-0897. Just this past Sunday, yesterday... We finished up our series at Whitefields where we, we have been studying through First and Second Thessalonians, and our series was called Upside Down. And so this past Sunday, I finished Second Thessalonians. Uh, we've been in the series for, I'm going to say, like eight or nine weeks, you know, that looking through these. Well, it's got to be more than that. Uh, it's got to be more like 10 to 12 weeks that we were in these books, which was longer than I expected to spend. And honestly, we could have spent longer because these are really really uh, great chapters that deal with really important themes. Uh, Second Thessalonians, I, I found out, is one of the least studied books in churches around the world. And I think I can understand why. You know, the first chapter is about persecution. And, um, and the second chapter is about the Antichrist and about the second coming of Jesus. And so these are, are topics that, you know, some churches will tend to avoid just because they seem, you know, too controversial or people argue about these things too much. And so, you know, not wanting to cause a rift or anything, they'll just avoid the book. And then the third chapter is not less controversial than the others. Interestingly, the third chapter talks a lot about the idea of, um, you know, it talks about laziness. And so, you know, it really has some hard things to say to those who are living in idleness. And so that's what we, we spent the whole chapter looking at that last, uh, yeah, this past Sunday, yesterday. And honestly, I was really encouraged and blessed by it. And I found it to be a very challenging sermon, a very you know, timely sermon for our church. And I thought, um, you know, it'd probably be a good message for, for more people to preach. So I, I found it to be quite a shame that people avoid teaching through Second Thessalonians. Um, I think that one of the benefits to what we do in Calvary Chapel type churches, you know, where we focus on teaching the Bible and we teach it verse by verse and chapter by chapter, is that when you teach through the Bible consecutively, you know, you cannot avoid 
the things that the Bible teaches, right? Like you can't um, pick your hobby horses and just teach on, you know, your favorite passages all the time and ignore your not as favorite passages. And uh, I definitely, you know, in my time of doing this, have come across some of these passages where I'm like, you know what, if it was up to me, I would definitely avoid that passage. But the nice thing about this way of teaching is that it prevents you from doing so. And, and I think that's right. And it's good that it prevents us from doing so because we need the whole counsel of God's word. And so when we get to a chapter that talks about the Antichrist, we talk about it. And when we get to a chapter that talks about laziness, we talk about that. And so it's been uh, really good. So, you know, I'll, I'll walk you through this passage as we wait for calls to come in. Let me give you that call in line once again, because uh, we would love to hear from you. The number to call is 303-690-3000, 303-690-3000. And the text line is 720-336-0897. Yeah, before I, before I go into kind of going through this chapter, I uh, wanted to tell you guys what I've been up to this week. I realize it's only Monday, but what I'm going to be doing throughout the whole week is I'm teaching at a Bible college in Estes Park called Ravencrest Chalet. So Ravencrest Chalet, it's part of the Torchbearers group of Bible colleges that exists uh, all over the world. They're a group out of England called the Torchbearers. And um, it's an interesting history. You know, the Torchbearers started reaching out after World War II. They were English people who started reaching out to Germans because, you know, the Germans had bombed England and there was a bit of tension between the two countries. And so this Christian man uh, from the military, uh, the British military, decided, you know what, he wanted to reach out to German youth and, um, and he wanted to reach out to them with the gospel of Jesus and with a heart for reconciliation. So he started bringing German youth out to a castle in England and started a Bible college there, and then they started Bible college in Germany, and now this has grown into, I know they have at least over 10 of these Bible colleges around the world. One of them is, one of the main ones is in Estes Park. It's called Ravencrest, so if you ever drive up US 36, you know, out of Lyons uh, towards Estes Park, right as you get to the top of the hill, um, before you descend into the town of Estes, on the right, there's this sign that says Ravencrest Chalet Bible College. So that's where I'm at this whole week. And in the mornings, uh, I'm teaching Genesis, teaching through the whole book of Genesis in one week. It's quite the, quite the undertaking to go through the whole book and kind of give the students an overview of it. And uh, in the, at the same time, I'm teaching their interns over there. I'm teaching them a class on leadership in the local church. And we've got a great relationship with that Bible school there, and we've enjoyed having their director come down, and he, um, and he has been teaching at our church on occasion when I've been away or we've needed a guest teacher. His name's Frank Cerrone, and he's a great, um, great teacher and leader, and it's been really great. So um, I just got the uh, word from the producer that the phones are not working. So we're having a little bit of technical difficulty with the phone line. Um, looks like we have another line that you can, oh no, this is just so, it looks like the phones are being rebooted right now. We'd love for you to call in, but you can text. So if you've been trying to call and not been able to get through, the reason is just a little technical difficulty should be fixed really soon. But in the meantime, you can still text us. Our text line is working. And the text line that you can um, yeah, the text line that you can text to is 720-336-0897. That's 
at 720-336-0897. We'd love for you to send us a text. We'll address it right here on the air. And it looks like the phones should be working in just a couple minutes again. So uh, after that, we'll be able to take phone calls again. But let's go over to the text line and look at the texts that have come in so far. One person uh, texts in right now and says, I need prayer. I am fighting drug addiction. Okay, let's pray for you. Heavenly Father, we pray for uh, our dear friend here who writes in just struggling with drug addiction. And Lord, we do pray uh, that you would set this person free. Lord, we pray that uh, by your power, Jesus, you would set this person free, that there wouldn't be anything binding them, or that they would be truly free from addiction, truly free from uh, the influence, the controlling influence of anything other than your Holy Spirit. So Lord, we do ask that you would bless this person. Lord, we ask that they would uh, experience the freedom of uh, being set free from that. And Lord, I, I just recall what your word says in Romans chapter 6, where it explains to us that in you, Jesus, we are now dead to sin. And what that means is it has no more power over us. Our sins and Satan, they have been defeated. Lord, you nailed our sins with you to the cross, and you defeated the enemy. And all he can do now is tempt us, yell at us, try and convince us to do the wrong things, but he has no power over us to control us. And so, Lord, I pray for my friend here who's texted in, struggling with addiction, Lord, that you would set him or her free and that they would walk in this newness of life and this freedom that you have won for us, Jesus. So I pray that you would do that work in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that text and God bless you. Let's uh, give you those lines to call in and we'll see if those phones are working again. The number to call is 303-690-3000. It's 303-690-3000. And you can text us at 720-336-0897. Let's go to our next texter who says this. Hi, my name is Nico from Brighton. I've been studying Exodus, and I know God doesn't condone polygamy, but he created a set of laws that seems to me to accommodate polygamy as it was part of the culture back then. But does that mean you could live in polygamy and still be saved? It seems to me this could almost be applied to homosexuality, since it seems that now that this is becoming the culture in these days. I'm wondering if God allowed polygamy for saved people, then he would do the same for people living in homosexuality. So Nico, two things come to mind from your text. And I do think that this issue of homosexuality is the big issue uh, of our day. I don't think it should be. You know, I don't think it's the issue that we as Christians should be focused on. But I think it's the issue that our culture is really focused on. And as people who want to bring the gospel to our culture, I think it's important that we know the answers to these questions. So I appreciate you writing in with that question. And let's talk about that. Okay, here's one big difference between polygamy and homosexuality. Okay, the Bible never actually explicitly condemns polygamy. Now, does it condemn polygamy? I believe that it does. I, I would actually say that what the Bible does is it undermines polygamy. But in contrast to that, the Bible directly does condemn homosexual activity. Now, I want to specify when I talk about homosexual activity, there's a difference between homosexual people and homosexual activity. In fact, I don't uh, prefer to use the term homosexual people uh, because I think that we should distinguish people from people's feelings or attractions. Okay, so just because I have a feeling that I would like to do something or I have an inclination 
towards something doesn't mean that that now defines me. In other words, I can have an attraction towards someone, and yet that attraction doesn't define who I am. And so I think that a lot of the discourse over this topic has been um, in this vein. It has been saying that we are defined by our feelings, uh, and the feelings that we have define who we are as human beings. And I think that we, as Christians, have always pushed against that kind of thing. We would say this, that I sin in Christ, but I am, my identity is that I am a saint, right? If I am in Jesus, I've received a new identity. That identity is that I am a saint. I am a Christian. I am one who is chosen by God. You know, I am, he calls us saints, which means holy ones, right? We've been, you know, Paul speaks in the past tense when he talks about our identity. He says, uh, those whom he, this is Romans 8.30, those whom he predestined, he called those who he called, he justified. Those whom he justified, he glorified. That's all in the past tense. And that's speaking about our identity. It, we are those who are in Jesus. Now, what that means is that even though I sin, still, every day I do. And yet, my sin no longer defines me before God. That's no longer my identity. And so, that's uh, where I push back against a culture that um, you know tries to identify people according to their sexuality. I say that as Christians, for thousands of years, we have always said we are not identified by those things. We're identified by other things, by who God says we are. And so there's that. That's, so that's the big issue, that homosexuality or homosexual behavior is explicitly addressed in the Bible, whereas polygamy is not. Now, does that mean that polygamy is okay? Well, to answer your question, is it possible to live in polygamy and still be saved? Well, I would say probably yes, but it's obviously, con you know, it's obviously spoken against in the Bible. I'll start from the New Testament and then move back to the Old Testament. Now, it's specifically spoken against in several areas. For example, we know that polygamy was practiced by people uh, 2,000 years ago in the time of Jesus, even people in um, you know, the Greco-Roman context. And here is uh, what Paul says. You know, qualifications for an overseer or a deacon, uh, you have to be, particularly for an overseer, actually, here he says, you know, you have to be the husband of one wife. In other words, if you were a polygamist, you were not allowed to be um, a leader in the church. But let's say you were a polygamist and you got saved. Should you now divorce your wives? I don't see any example of that in the Bible where they're telling people to divorce their wives uh, if they were polygamists. Now, does that mean that polygamy is okay? I don't think so. But I do think that it's not put on the same level as homosexual behavior. I think that is very clear and very obvious in both Testaments, the Old and the New. Now, the thing about polygamy is just because the Bible doesn't directly address it and say, this is a sin, don't do this, doesn't mean that the Bible doesn't teach that. Okay, do you get what I'm saying? Like, so for example, there are a lot of things that the Bible uh, doesn't say. Like, the Bible doesn't say, hey, you shouldn't eat 10 Big Macs because it will stop your heart and you will die, right? Okay, but it does teach us not to practice gluttony. And so we have a principle, don't practice gluttony. Now, we have to apply that to specific situations which are changing over time. Like, does the Bible say that I should not eat, you know, 50 chicken wings? No, but it does say you shouldn't be gluttonous. 
right? So that applies. Does the Bible say that I shouldn't smoke marijuana? No, because smoking marijuana wasn't a thing 20 years ago. But guess what? Um, you know, there were other things that did apply. There's a principle there that we can apply to smoking marijuana, which is do not be intoxicated, okay? So there's, um, there's that. Then we apply that to that. So how does that apply to polygamy? Are there principles that apply. Yes, there absolutely are. For example, we know that God's ideal for marriage is laid out in the very first chapter of the Bible. So right from the beginning, we have God's ideal for marriage, and that is one man and one woman together before God forever. And, that, and that's what it says, that the two, right? Remember that number two, that's not arbitrary. The two become one flesh and the man leaves his father and mother and clings to his wife, not wives, wife. That language is very intentional. And so what we have is a principle that's laid out throughout the Bible. And the other thing we have is that the Bible teaches us, right? And what we would say the narratives of the Bible are didactic, right? And what didactic means is that they're intended to teach us something. They're there for a purpose. And so here's what we have with that. Uh, the narratives of the Bible, how do they portray polygamy? Well, they portray polygamy, number one, not as God's original intention. And number two, they portray polygamy always in a negative light. I mean, think about it. Whenever you see polygamy in the Bible, how does it turn out? Does it ever turn out great? No, like not, not once. Okay, so there's no good examples of polygamy in the Bible. I'll just run through some. We've got Abraham um, who you know, did this polygamous thing with Hagar and Sarah, huge mess, even to this day. Um, we've got issues like, um, we've got, you know, Isaac, who has one wife, then we have Jacob, who has two wives. And from Jacob, he has um, two wives, and he, they creates a huge mess in his family. We see that Jacob is uh, basically, him and his wife play favorites with their kids. He plays favorites with his wives. Everything's a huge mess, and it leads to, you know, the patriarchs, the, these 12 leaders of the 12 tribes, end up not being, you know, what we would consider today. Most of them were not, like, really great people. And so w we never see anything good. You know, we see Solomon, who has all these wives. We see David, who sleeps with more women than he should, and it in every instance, turns out bad. And so what you have here is that the Bible is building a case against polygamy. But I would absolutely say that it does not put polygamy on the same level as homosexual behavior. And the reason for that gets back to one of design. So I hope that answers your question. I, I don't think that... Um, I also think this, that, you know, as the Bible has spoken clearly, saying that homosexual behavior is sin... For the Bible, for us to say, well, then, um, you know, well, if God allowed polygamy for people at that time, wouldn't he do the same for homosexuality? And this time, since that's our culture, I, I don't think that that's the case because God's word has spoken and we don't believe that God changes, right? You don't believe that he changes based on our culture. You know, there were a lot of things that were culturally acceptable at different times in history. In fact, here's, here's a really great example, is that homosexual behavior was actually quite accepted in Greco-Roman culture, meaning the time of Jesus, right? The time of the New Testament, when the New Testament was written. So it was culturally acceptable then, perhaps even more culturally acceptable then, in that culture, to which the New Testament was written, than it is in our culture in the West today. 
And yet, the New Testament speaks out even more than the Old Testament against homosexual behavior. So I think that, that makes the case pretty clear. And we're about to go to our break, a mid-show break. Hey, our phones are still down. We, pre we ask that you pray for that and bear with us. We're getting that worked on. It's going to be fixed really soon. But you can still text us. This is a show where you can call in and text with your questions. So do text us until our phone lines come back. And that number to, number to text is 720-336-0897. That's 720-336-0897. 0897 and we are going to our mid-show break we'll be back in two minutes time you're listening to calvary live and i'm pastor nick katie and we'll, we will be right back Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon and welcome back to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. I'm here with you today taking your calls and texts live on the air. Again, this is a show where you can call in or text in with your questions about the Bible or anything going on in your life. Uh, that you would like advice on or biblical counsel on, as well as prayer. We would love to pray for you and uh, talk to you about those things, as well as answer the questions you have about the Bible. Maybe as you've been reading, some things have come up that have got you uh, curious or wondering. We'd love to delve into some of those questions with you and hopefully give some answers. The number to call, and I think our phones are still, we're still trying to get them working, but I'll give you the number to call anyway. You can try it and maybe you'll get through. The number is 303-690-3000. It's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. That's 720-336-0897 for the text line. So far this show, we've we've been uh, doing mostly texts, and so we'd love for you to send us a text. We'd love to hear from you and hopefully answer your questions. We've got a few that have come in, and so let's dive right into those. One person uh, wrote this, and they said, I have a question. I know you are a pastor who has done church planting in other countries, so I'm curious if you've seen any approaches to evangelism and discipleship that are done in other countries that might be good to try when planting and growing churches in the U.S. I'm thinking about English classes or church-subsidized businesses like coffee shops, etc. What are your thoughts? Yeah, so I have, a, I have several thoughts on that. I mean, when we church plant... So for those of you who don't know my background, I'll just take a few minutes for that. I am... Um, I... Before moving to Colorado, I moved to Colorado seven years ago. Prior to that, I, I lived in Hungary for 10 years as a church planter and missionary. And my wife and I planted two churches in northern Hungary that are now led by um, local leaders who were saved and trained and raised up within our ministry over there. And it was uh, a great, you know, a great time in our lives. And we're so we we're so blown away and impressed and blessed by what the Lord did over there. But I will say that, you know, what we had to do when we moved, particularly what happened in 2005, we moved to a city in northern Hungary 
Um, and, you know, we were new to the city. We did have a group there that we had built up by kind of commuting in from the other city we lived in. We lived about an hour and a half away over on the eastern border of Hungary. And we were driving up to this town in northern Hungary. And we were, um, you know, we started a Bible study there. And that Bible study grew. And once we had a core group, we moved there and we started Sunday services. But also when we moved there, we tried to find ways to really you know, engage in the city and do evangelism. And we did some things that were complete flops and failures. And we did other things which were uh, huge successes, like things that are still ongoing outreaches that have taken on a life of their own, almost like outgrown the church in a way. And one of the uh, things that we did that didn't work was that we tried to do a business outreach. So we tried to do, one of, one of the things we realized about our town, and this is really what I would say to this question, in any town where you approach it as a missionary, you know, what you want to do is you go into that town and you want to learn the climate of your town. And I would say that that question and attitude and approach to your city does not change in an international context or in the United States. You want to learn the town. You want to learn what their hopes are, their fears. What is the culture of that town? What's the history of that town? How do people think? What are the things that they are thinking about and talking about? Um, and how do you engage with that and then bring the gospel into that? How do you use those things as a bridge to bring the gospel in? And I would say we have done that exact same thing here in Longmont um, as we've come here to pastor and lead. Um, one one uh, you know thing that we tried, we tried to do these business people outreaches. So we had this guy who was a local businessman and he would come and do lectures on good business practices and through that we would try to uh, bring the gospel to the business community in the town we lived in. And it was, I won't say it was a complete failure, but it was it was not very successful at, at least uh, as we hoped it would be. Um, we then, you know, did some other things which were hugely successful, like totally surprised us. One thing we did is that we, we knew some doctors who were Christians in our city. And so we got together, um, these doctors, we rented out uh, a, a spot, a pretty large spot in the city market, like literally like the outdoor farmer's market, which is, you know, here in Boulder County, like we do a farmer's market every day every week and it's a big thing but over there you know that's just where people buy all their groceries and so it's like an everyday thing so we rented out a spot in the farmers market and we kind of you know put posters up all over town advertising this and it was for national or the international day of the heart like heart disease prevention type thing and so we kind of tied that into the gospel where we said okay hey we want to help you with your heart. And so we're going to have these doctors come. They're going to do free medical checkups, like real basic stuff, like checking blood pressure, uh, you know, you know, really basic stuff, you know, listening to your lungs, making sure, you know, you don't have pneumonia right now or something like that. And then what they would do is they would pray for people and they would ask them, you know, what can I do to pray for you? And then we also had pastors there praying for people and, and leading them uh, to the Lord. And that was just hugely successful. We saw so much good fruit come out of that. Another good outreach we did in our town, surprisingly, was we lived in a college town, and just knowing that town, a lot of people were very intellectual, and so we would organize lectures at the local college on various topics, you know, like we organized a lecture on, is the Bible trustworthy? And we just announced it in town and, you know, filled up these halls at the college 
um, you know, lecture halls and people came out and people got saved. And another thing we did was we did a youth camp where we taught English. Now, obviously, a youth camp that teaches English here in the United States would probably have to be directed towards a you know demographic that doesn't teach, doesn't know English. But there it was so easily accessible. That's something that people in that culture need and want is to know a foreign language, especially English. And so these were just kind of low-hanging fruit. They were like obvious things that we could do. Now, what does that mean in this context here in the United States? It means that you still ask the same questions. How, where are the cultural bridges that we can connect with where our city's already at and bring Jesus into a conversation and help them to encounter the gospel where they're already at? So what we've done here in, in Longmont, I know that we've we've tried a few things that we were like, okay, we're not going to do that again. Um, you know, we tried doing this kind of video simulcast of a of a of another church's outreach, and that did not, uh, you know, it drew some people in, and people heard the gospel. So I'm not going to say it was a failure, um, but it didn't have the impact we hoped it would. On the other hand, we we've done some other things where we're just so uh, blown away by the impact. So one one of the things we do here in Longmont is. We do an Easter outreach in the park, which our church is next to the city park. We rent out the park and, you know, it's taken on this thing where we now have like, you know, two, two and a half thousand people come. It gets covered by the local media. Uh, we had Grace FM come this year and just be there to hand out uh, shirts. You know, so it's a huge event. And this has taken on a life of its own. And it's, it's a great opportunity for us to meet people in our community, share the gospel. Now, why is this successful and why was other things not successful? I think part of it is that we tapped into something that was inherent here in our local Longmont culture and that was that people here like festivals and they like this park downtown and they like kids programs and family activities and so we kind of you know ticked all the boxes with this thing almost on accident and it turned into this great outreach that's a blessing to the community the city loves the fact that we do it and we love the fact that we get to meet all these people and bless them and in the meantime we get to share the good news of the gospel and the hope of Easter with them. And so I would just tell you that I think the best thing you can do is in any and every city you are in, look for those bridges. I personally have not seen a lot of good uh, things like church subsidized businesses like coffee shops. I know of one that I would say has been really successful and worked well, but I haven't seen a lot of it. I, I wonder about English classes. I think there's probably a great inroad here and opportunity in the United States for reaching out to people who need to learn English, like immigrants. And I think that could be a huge outreach if done well. Um, but yeah, I think that's the thing is get to know your city, get to know your town, and get to look for opportunities where you can see where people are already at and how they, uh, how you can bring the gospel into those conversations. But I love the fact that you're answering that, you're asking that question. Because here's the thing, um, there's a great book out there um, about um, this idea. It's by a guy named Leslie Newbigin. It's kind of a heady book, but if you can really kind of boil down uh, his ideas into, you know, layman's terms, it is such an important book. Leslie Newbigin, and it's called The Gospel in a Pluralistic Society. And what he's saying is this, that he tells the story. So Leslie Newbigin was a missionary from Britain to India uh, in the 1930s and then came back to Great Britain in the 1970s. And being gone that time, you know, Great Britain went through huge cultural changes, you know, from the 1930s to the 1970s. And Leslie Newbigin came back to Britain feeling like he was a foreigner. 
And what he found is that he found that Britain had changed so much that it had gone from being a Christian country, you might say, to a post-Christian country. And he realized that in some way, um, you know, some ways he needed now, what, what the church in England needed to do was to approach England the same way that they would approach spreading the gospel in India. And I think that's true for us here in the United States. You know, the same methods that are applied by uh, missionaries and other places to bring the gospel to evangelize. We, who are ministering here in the United States, need to be thinking as missionaries to our local, um, to our local culture here, wherever we're at. And I, I think that that's really good. It's bringing us back to the heart of the gospel and the missionary heart of God. And so... I uh, hope that answers your question, but I love that you're asking that question. I pray that God blesses you in seeking to be a missional person or missionary person in your local context. Let's go back to some of our text messages. Let me give you that text line once again. It looks like our, we're still having uh, some technical difficulties with our phones, but we our text line is working great. So give us a text. The number is 720-336-0897. Looks like we have a lot of prayer requests. So let's go through these and pray for them. This person asks if we could pray for struggling marriages and people with health and mental problems. Absolutely. Let's do that. Lord, we pray for marriages out there that are struggling. Lord, we know there are so many, and we know that oftentimes uh, we who are on the outside, there might be a struggling marriage and nobody knows about it except for those who are within it. Lord, I pray that uh, you, as the one who sees, you are the God who sees, you're the God who knows, and I pray, Lord, that you would intervene in these struggling marriages. Lord, if there's a person out there who needs to reach out to somebody for help, or if there's somebody out there right now who needs to repent and apologize, or if there's somebody out there who needs to forgive, Lord, I know that you would speak even through the airwaves to people right now where they're at, and I pray that you would do that. I pray that you would give people the humility to um, to apologize if that's needed, the grace to forgive where that's needed, the, the strength to reach out for help where that's needed. Lord, I pray that you would do that. And I pray, Lord, that you would, um, that you would save these struggling marriages and that they would go from just kind of hanging on by a thread to just being so strong and a great testimony of your grace. So, Lord, we pray that uh, marriages would be rooted and grounded in you Lord, that um, you would even use some of these struggles in marriages to draw people to you and draw them to their knees and back to a place of repentance. Lord, we pray for also the people struggling with health and mental problems. Lord, we pray that uh, you would reach them in those places, heal them, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. And we also thank you for the hope of the gospel, that in this world, uh, we live in a broken world. Uh, it's under the curse of sin and death. But Lord, thank you that you have defeated sin and death, and that one day we are going to experience that in fullness. And so, Lord, we pray for glimpses of that, flashes of that even now, Lord, that we might see people healed from health and mental health problems. But, Lord, we also look forward to, with great hope and expectation, heaven and what awaits us there because of Jesus. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that prayer request, and God bless you. Let's move on to our next prayer request. This person says, please pray for Lee and Tan. Uh, my husband and I are trying to conceive a child. Well, Lee and Tan, let's pray for you. Heavenly Father, we, we do pray for this wonderful couple, and we just ask that you would bless them. Lord, the desire to have a child is a good desire, and we pray, Lord, that you would fulfill that desire according to your will for their lives. Uh, Lord, I pray that they would surrender everything to you, 
And like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, they would say, Lord, uh, this is what we're asking, and we ask it in your will. And uh, Lord, I pray that they would be willing to surrender everything to you. But Lord, I do pray that you would grant the request that they have to give them a child and that, uh, Lord, you would prepare them for that during this time. I pray you use this time of waiting, Lord, to build in them patience and character and make them people who are more resembling Jesus every day. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, God bless you. Let's go to our next prayer request. Um, this person says, pray for me. I've been experiencing bouts of anxiety and depression. I am sure that you are not the only one, uh, whoever you are, who texted in. So let's pray for you and uh, all those struggling with this. Lord, we pray for uh, this precious person who has texted, texted in saying that they're struggling with bouts of anxiety and depression. Lord, we pray that if there's a, a physical issue, going on, Lord, that you would correct that, that you would heal it. And uh, Lord, we pray for this person that, um, Lord, truly that you would build within them. You take away that anxiety and Lord, that you would take away the depression. You would help them to see themselves as you see them. Lord, we pray that uh, as Paul says, you know, be anxious about nothing but in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your request known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you would minister to this dear person, remind them of what your word says about them, remind them of your love for them, remind them of the hope that they have, not just hope for heaven, but hope for this day, that you are working all things together for good. And that like you said with Joseph, Lord, that you, that, well, like Joseph said, that he saw finally in the end how that which was meant for evil you used for good. And Lord, I pray that um, this dear person would have that hope and confidence, Lord, that you are working all things together for good and they have nothing to fear uh, in you. And Lord, so I pray that uh, they would be set free from this anxiety, that this depression would be taken away. And Lord, truly they would turn to you and that you would be, as you sa as David, uh, the psalm writer said, the lifter of our heads, the one who lifts our chin, helps us to look up. Lord, would you do that for this dear person, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You are listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your text today. Our phones are not working at the moment. They will definitely be fixed very soon. But um, just uh, some technical issues on that end. But we have a lot of text to go through still, and we're willing to take more. We've got 12 minutes left in the show, and we'll try and hit as many of these texts as we possibly can. The number to text in is 720-336-0897. And you can text us with your questions about the Bible or anything going on in your life. We'd love to hear from you and hopefully answer your questions and pray for uh, your prayer requests. One person texts in and said this, how do you witness to someone who thinks it is unfair that people have to choose Jesus so they won't have to go to hell? I told this person that all of us deserve hell, but because of the gift of Jesus' sacrifice, we have the ability to accept it. God doesn't force anybody to accept his gift, but acts, uh, asks that they will. They just think it's unfair that people should suffer because they don't accept the free gift. I'm really not sure how to go about this. Yeah, well, I think there's pretty clear here how um, fairness, you know, clearly fairness is the question. And, the, you know, 
there's a couple of questions that come up in regard to hell. I just recently taught on hell and, and oddly enough, you know, hell, you know, you would think that's a really unpopular topic for people to talk about or, you know, something that churches, again, like I mentioned earlier, uh, churches tend to avoid these kind of topics. Well, um, you know, we keep track of some of our stats online and our, our recent teaching on hell is our most listened to teaching in all of the seven years that we've been tracking stuff. And this, this teaching was done like two months ago. And so in two months time, this one teaching has been listened to more and shared more than any other teaching that we've ever done at our church. And it was this teaching about hell and the, the title of the message. And I'd be happy to send a link to anybody who's interested. Text us at this number and I'll text you back a link. 720-336-0897. The, the whole point of the message was, um, you know, it was part of our series called I Could Never Believe in a God Who. And it was this sermon titled I Could Never Believe in a God Who Sends Good People to Hell. And whereas you might assume that the angle we took with it was, well, there are there's no such thing as a good person, which is true. I actually don't disagree with that. We, we took another angle on it, which said, you know, let's talk about fairness. Let's talk about um, how hell works. What is the doctrine of hell? And um, and it's really interesting. You know, the thing about it is you can't avoid the doctrine of hell uh, if you believe in Jesus, because Jesus talked about hell more than he talked about heaven. He talked about hell more than he talked about almost anything else. Oddly enough, Jesus talked about two things a lot that we tend to not want to talk about, and those were hell and how we spend our money. And these are like super taboo topics, right? These are, like I said earlier, topics that churches tend to avoid. Uh, and yet they're what Jesus talked about so often. Now, why would Jesus talk so much about hell, right? Like if God's a loving God and Jesus loves us and these kinds of things, why would he talk about hell? It's precisely because he loves us and he doesn't want us to go there, right? So hell is our default destination. Let's put it this way. So many people, their opposition to hell is that they think that hell is, you know, punishment for particularly bad people or that it's kind of arbitrary that just because I didn't believe in your God, now I have to go to hell. Like, you know, all these gods out there. And if I don't believe in this one, he's going to send me to hell. Okay. Well, first of all, a few examples, almost every religion in the world believes it first of all is exclusive, which says this is the only truth, and also says that um, that there is repercussion or punishment or hell for those who do not believe these things or to do not follow these ways. And so, why do I say that? I say that to say this: there is this common knowledge that all people in the world seem to have that all of us, what we deserve, unless something changes, is we deserve hell. Now, what is hell? This is really important that we understand this. So Second Thessalonians, like I said, one of the least studied chapters or books in the Bible, and yet it shouldn't be the least studied because it has some really important things to say. For example, what we learned from Second Thessalonians is that the essence of hell is that we are separated from the glory of God forever. And so I'll just give you a little homework here. Read Second Thessalonians chapter 1, and then I want you to also read Romans chapter 1, especially, you know, starting in verse 17. But Romans chapter 1, or rather 18, because what happens in Romans chapter 1 is that he explains this. And, um, you know, this morning I was teaching Genesis chapter 3 
to the Bible college students up at Ravencrest. And I said, you know, a lot of the ways that people think about the development of religion, like development of religion history or, you know, religious anthropology, kind of the secular view is it's really popular is to say people lived in caves and, you know, they worshiped the, the sun and the moon or they worshiped nature. And, and then one day they decided to stop worshiping things they could see and started worshiping abstract gods. And they had multiple like polytheism. And then they narrowed it down and they believed in monotheism. And that's kind of, you know, it developed over time. And the pinnacle of that development was monotheism. Well, the Bible actually says, no, that's not how it happened. Rather, we all started out uh, as monotheists who knew God and had a relationship with God. And we turned away from God. And that's what Romans chapter 1 says. It says that the problem isn't that people don't know God. The, the issue is that people do know God and they do, or they know at least something about who this God is and what he wants from us. And yet we suppress the knowledge of God because basically we don't like the idea that he would rule over us. And so we want to push him away. And it says that, that, that we have pushed him away. We have not acknowledged him as God. And as a result, it says... And this is hard language, right? It says, we have become futile in our thinking and our hearts were darkened. And we claimed to be wise, but we made ourselves into fools. We exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images and birds and animals and creeping things. And we began to worship the created things rather than the creator. And so what this means is that people have said through their lives, no, I don't want you, God. God says, I want you. I want you so bad that I have come to earth to reveal myself to you fully in Jesus. I've come to earth to live and to die and to resurrect for you. And one day I'm coming back for you. I've done everything so that you can know me and be saved. And you don't actually have to do anything except for trust in this and believe it and surrender your life to me as Lord and God, who I am. That's all that I require of you. And he says, just give me yourself as you are. I will change you. And so he's done everything, and for us to push that away and reject it, and by the way, not choosing is also a choice, right? And so not uh, trusting is, is a choice that we're making. That is a decision. To not make a decision is a decision. And so as we've done this, we're essentially saying, God, I don't want you in my life. And there comes a point where the ultimate form of God's judgment, Paul says here in Romans chapter 1, is when God essentially just gives you what you yourself have insisted upon. So bringing this back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, what that means is this, that if the essence of hell is not, you know, you know, pitchfork demons poking you for eternity and flames, literal flames, but rather what it is is, you know, separation from God. Well, if God is the source of life, if he's the source of light, the source of beauty, the source of truth, then the essence of hell to be separated from those things is to be separated from life, separated from beauty, separated from truth, separated from light for all of eternity, which is what we would say in our vernacular, that is hellish. The essence of hell is that God is not there. The essence of heaven is that God is there. So many people get so focused on this. They're like, well, what kind of mansion am I going to have in heaven? Are the streets really made out of gold? And is my cat going to be there? Uh, I got to say that those are not the questions that the Bible deals with. Why? Because the essence of heaven is not what you're going to get. It's that what you will get is that you get to be with God. And the essence of hell is that you will be separated from God. And the only person who goes to hell or receives hell is the person who has insisted for their entire life that they do not want God. They do not want this salvation that he's given. If we want to talk about fairness and justice, 
that the last thing any of us should ever ask for is for God to give us what is fair and what we deserve because all of us have sinned and fallen short of his glory. We've all uh, done something wrong. You know, there's a great story that, uh, a great example that Francis Schaeffer, the apologist, uses where he says, imagine this. Imagine if all of us were wearing a recording device around our neck that only came on when we said uh, these words, ought to or should about other people, right? You know, and, and basically at the end of our lives, they would play that back to us. And when you said people ought to do this or people should do that or he should have done this or she should have done that and and that creates what you yourself believe is the way that people should or should not act and we were to play that back not even you yourself have lived up to the standard which you believe is the right standard and what that means is that all of us have fallen short not only of God's standards but even of our own standards and therefore what we deserve is judgment but the good news of the gospel is that in spite of that God has intervened on our behalf to show us love to give us grace and he has offered it he did everything for us it's just a gift to be received and so that that's the way I would reason with your friend I don't know if that would be uh, you know super convincing for them it might not feel emotionally uh, satisfying to them at this point, but I do think that that is the truth that the Bible says. And I think it also it's very logical and reasonable. So um, let me pray for you as you minister to this friend of yours. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this person who has a heart to share you and the gospel with their friend. I pray that you would encourage them in it, minister to them as they minister to their friend, and Lord, give them wisdom and insight into how to best share the gospel. Um, and Lord, I pray that that would be true for all of us. Let us be those who are about your business and empower us to do it by your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, you've been listening to Calvary Live. Thanks for tuning in. We're here every weekday from 4 to 5 p.m. Mountain Time. God bless you, and I'll be with you again next week. You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's Word.